Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Audaciousness Podcast with me, Maribel Ortega. And me, Helen Strong. In this podcast, we showcase individuals who have set themselves bold and audacious goals and have worked to achieve them, with the aim of inspiring others to also set themselves audacious goals and to create a positive movement in the world. We'd like to highlight the fact that even regular people like you and me can have audacious goals and that role models are in fact all around us. Each and every one of us can have an impact in some way. Thank you for listening. We're delighted to have you with us. So Helen, tell us about the guest we're going to hear from today. Yes, we're going to hear from Philip Kay, who is based in Thailand. And he grew up in the UK and he emigrated accidentally, as we'll find out in this uh, conversation, to Thailand uh, almost no over, sorry, 30 years ago. And uh, he became a teacher. He was a teacher of English as a foreign language. And I met him online just a few weeks ago in a group of educationalists, people who are interested in the state of the education school system and so on in, in, in the world today. And I thought he had a very interesting story. It was quite similar to mine because I moved to, to Germany, obviously, when I was much younger, when I was in my 20s and he was in his 20s when he moved to, uh, to Thailand. But there the similarities changed a little bit, I think, because he spent much of his younger years lying in a hammock on a Thai beach thinking about the meaning of life. And as a result of that, he last year published his very first book, which is called Menu for a Spiritual Revolution. Um, I've got mm. it here in front of me and I've read the book already. It's a lovely book. And uh, and yeah, so I contacted him and uh, said, you know, would you like to, I think you've done quite an, a lot of audacious things in your life. Would you like to speak to us for our podcast? And he agreed. And so we'll listen to Philip now. All right. So let's listen to the interview with Philip Kay now. And let's come back in half an hour and discuss what we've learned from that. Here's Philip and we hope you enjoy the interview. So hello, Philip, and thank you very much for agreeing to speak to us for our podcast, Audaciousness. Now, as we've just been uh, speaking about, I've been reading your book, Menu for a Spiritual Revolution. And one of the things that jumped out at me was your bio on the back, where you've said that you accidentally emigrated to Thailand in 1991. Yeah. So I'm curious, I'd like to begin with the first question, which mm. is, how does one accidentally emigrate to another country <laughs> or in, in in particular how did you accidentally emigrate to Thailand can you start us off with that well it, it's actually true that I did but it was a nice rhetorical uh, thing to include as well but it's still true and I, and I wouldn't say anything that wasn't true but I think the thing was that I wanted to go traveling to uh, somewhere and I just wanted to travel because it's in my blood my father worked in the aviation industry so before mass travel was happening on planes we used to get 10 percent um, ticket prices so I'd been to a few countries and uh, so I went traveling and I was going to go to China but at that time it was very difficult to get a visa for more than a couple of weeks so uh, the next thing I knew a friend had just come back from about six months in Thailand and he told me all his tales of 
of beaches and mountains and food and everything. So I, you know, and I got the Lonely Planet book and uh, Thailand looked perfect to me. So and very cheap, you know, it was like about a pound for breakfast, two pounds for, for your bungalow and all this sort of thing. So, so I came over here and the intention was to come for about a year. I think that was the intention. But by the time I came, there was less money and then it ran out quicker than you think. And I did have, I obviously had some plan in mind because at the bottom of my rucksack was a shirt, a tie and a pair of trousers. Um, all crumpled, but the lady at the guest house um, ironed them for me. And um, so basically I went looking for a job on one day and it was extremely hot and I was sweating and it was just horrible. And I went in and I, and I, I, and I was rejected a couple of times and it seemed that I needed a degree. So anyway, the whole I, the, the story goes on. It's a longer story in itself, but I got a job the next day and this was great because it meant I didn't have to come home yet. And this was after three or four months and I was going to have tail between legs because all the friends, well, what are you doing back so soon? It was the middle of the winter. Um, so it was, uh, there was going to be a lot of egg on face. So I got the job. And, uh, but what I didn't realize was how much I was going to enjoy teaching. And that was the thing. So what really happened was that I became a teacher just to extend my stay. And I suppose 30 years later, or when I was writing the book, it felt like, well, I suppose I've accidentally emigrated because <laughs> there was no intention you know it was just to come traveling and so, so was there was, was there any point in that where you where you thought you know you said I didn't want to go back with my tail between my legs so is that what was stopping you from going back or was there something that was keeping you in Thailand or, or was it the uh, balance of both oh it was I think I think it was mainly I just didn't want to leave so quickly I mean it was the first time in my life where I'd taken time off you know in England you're working all the time you have your two-week holiday suddenly I was a, like a beach bum and it was suiting me down to the ground and I met all these travelers from all over the world and I was we were swapping travel tales and it was in it was intoxicating it was just uh, and the Thai food and the Thai people was so friendly the women were very beautiful. Um, everything and all the, um, everything was good. Nothing was bad, and I think I also, um, I don't know if I worked this out at the time when I was uh, travelling or when it came later when I was working. But I, I realised that I'd become quite cynical in Britain from reading all the news and reading, you know, what was going on and so on. So it was just it wasn't ready to go back. And I, you know, I think the plan was to leave for a, a, a year or so. And I think if I look back back in time even further, I, I, I left Sussex and moved up to Manchester um, to work in the, the company that I was working for in London because everything was much cheaper. I could buy a house and the plan was to buy a house, let it accumulate in value, sell it and then not buy another one and just go travelling. So travel was in my blood and the whole experience was just so good. And then, of course, I became an accidental teacher because this was now the job from heaven. So basically, I was in the country of my heaven and I was in the job of my heaven. So Perfect. Wow. Mm. So, so you started off teaching English as a foreign language in Thailand there. Yeah. And so what happened after that? What kept you for another 30 years in Thailand? Well, I was so I was teaching without any experience or qualifications uh, and then about about a, I don't know when it was, a year and a half later, um, I was going on holiday back to England and the head teacher said to me, would I like to be the new head teacher because he was moving to another branch? 
And the answer was no, I I'm just love this job. I do not want to be the head teacher. I've seen all the hassles you get. <laughs> I'm just enjoying my work. I'm just teaching. It's just me and my students who, who were adolescents and university students and, and young adults working. So it wasn't children. Um, and uh, yeah, so what was your question? <laughs> Uh, what happened after that then? So, yeah. so how did so, your career develop after that? I always paint the context and then I forget where I was leading to. <laughs> no um, worries. So, after, so when I went back from a holiday, I came back and then he suddenly told me, you have to study for the certificate because we can't have head teachers without the certificate. So I was sort of drawn into studying that, which as you may, as you'll know, is one month long. Um, and then that taught me how to teach. Now I felt like I could almost claim to be a real teacher. Um, and then about three or four years later, I was again talked into doing my diploma. And, the di and at this time, I was beginning to want to write my book. But I took the diploma and, uh, and suddenly, it, you know, I knew how people learned. So there's a very di diff different distinction between me teaching and making learning happen. And that was just amazing. And then I don't know why, I had a very well-paid job with lots of holidays in Bangkok for five years at a university, and then I went back to England to do my master's in 2000. And then the plan was to then go to Hong Kong or somewhere that paid a lot of money and earn big money. But when the time came, my heart was telling me to go back to Thailand. So that's what I did. Um, and then I quickly moved up to Chiang Mai. And Chiang Mai is, well, as anybody that's been here will will always rave about it it's a great place to live so and then a couple of years later I got the job teaching the teachers and this was big challenge cognitive challenge and I loved it I absolutely loved it because I like the I like the challenge my my work is brain work unfortunately I'd rather be a gardener <laughs> um, but so it was teaching the teachers and I really uh, learned myself and I got I basically got to the the peak of my the peak of my form if you like um, but I had to write this book it was in me and then uh, so it was another great job and and then I met my uh, wife so about 17 years ago so she's a Chiang Mai girl um, a native so she wouldn't want to live anywhere else and I don't really so yeah suddenly 30 years have gone and I'm nearly an old man now <laughs> beautiful you're such a great storyteller I was so uh, interested in just listening to the stories that now I have to come up with a question and I do have a question. Uh -huh. um, so in those 30 years, you, I, I picked up, you used uh, the word accidental uh, mm. two times. You became accidentally a, a teacher and you emigrated accidentally. So do you think that you were following something in in your head or your heart that that was telling you to do that how disconnected or connected were those choices to how you wanted to live your life mm. yes yeah, it's, it's, that, that's a, a good question because I have to rely upon memory and it's strange in life that you know very well what's happening today but in 20 years time think of how many days that you've lived and how many of them are simply not in your memory bank. They're just not there. And then there's other memories that will be triggered. But so much of our life just passes us by. And we don't, we don't have the memory. We just have, well, whatever memory we have, that's all we have. It's different to the actual experience that we have now. So 
I think you see my mum she didn't leave Kenya until she was uh, an adult and got married to my dad um, so she lived there her mum was in India for her life um, and you know I was on an aeroplane going to Kenya when I was about six weeks old so I think that I've been born with this travel lust or wanderlust I think it's called you know and I didn't know when I left school I couldn't wait to leave school um, I didn't know what I wanted to do um, my dad had a he's got a he's a, he had a, a cargo airline company at the time and um, I think he probably wanted me to, to come in and take over being the son but I tried to keep away from um, a stressful world <laughs> I think I've been driven by not wanting problems and not wanting stress and I used to see a lot of problems everywhere when I lived in England and didn't have so many myself my problems were more of the the inequity and the injustice that I could see going on in the world but I didn't really ever have any personal problems and that you know that that's the way I've always had my life so I think perhaps I was born like a free spirit I, I, I don't know Maribel um, I just know that I love travel the other day um, we've, we've just opened up a tea shop in northern Thailand and my wife um, runs that and I go there for half the week and uh, we had a couple of customers come and I sat down and was talking to them for over two hours and, and they were travelers and we were swapping our travel tales and it reminded me uh, that when you're when I'm when I'm traveling or when I'm teaching I'm absolutely in the moment and I love being where I am and you're connected with the people and when you're swapping travel tales you're connecting with positive people and when you're teaching you're connecting in a positive environment because I've set up a positive environment in the classroom um, and so so I mean I'm in situations where it's a joy to be alive so in terms of the accidental bit if if I'm open then that means that things will happen in my life that I hadn't planned and I didn't really plan anything so I suppose the accidents uh, happen uh, because I approach life with an open mind and an open heart I suppose um, and I, I'm not I'm not fixed to um, one place in the earth and I, and I see it as a huge planet and I love to see the planet so um, so yeah I mean it was it was an, it is it's an accidental job and an accidental new country to live in and I've now been here longer because I was 27 when I left England so I've been here longer than I than I was in England now so yeah I think maybe the accidental nature um, which is I like that word because you know you hear of people emigrating and expats and that's what they were but I never did do that so it feels right to call myself that but but I, I, I like those kinds of accidents where, where you, uh, you, you, you let life come to you, I suppose, and then you react to it when something good comes along. So that means you're not a controller or a planner. You, oh, what does that mean? That smile. Because, <laughs> uh, well, maybe Helen will remember reading about the control, which I write about in the book, control if you don't have self if you don't have self control you will spend your life trying to control other people and other people will be controlling you so i think control cuts to the very heart of a, of 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 living a good human experience because it's it's vital control is coercive and you know i smiled also maribel because in my classroom i i am seen as the you know the leader and the hierarchical top person but I can only make my classroom successful when I've got the students feeling they're on the level. 
So I, this is where I learned about good leadership. You know, um, dictators will want to control you. Autocratic authority wants to control you. But leaders don't do that. They want you to flourish. And therefore, they're going to listen to you and they're going to make you feel uh, useful and valuable and, and valued and, and all that sort of thing. And that's that's we all want mentors when we're young. and We want heroes and we want we want good people to to be inspired by, not necessarily to copy, but we get that inspirational external spark that can help us. Control is is a big one, you know, because for me, when you're trying to control other people or you're allowing other people to control you, you don't have freedom. And I thought that humans are supposed to feel free because it feels good. And uh, what what is the kind of self-control that I, I understood, like you suggest we should have self-control? Did I understand that correctly? I, I think so. Integrity. I, I have a, an acronym. I have lots of acronyms because they, they help you remember things. But, you know, I talk about living with integrity. Uh, and, and to do this, you live with heart. And heart stands for honesty, empathy, awareness, responsibility, and trust. And so you just do that. That's what you do. And it's very, you know, it's tempting sometimes to do to tell a white lie, for example, even if you don't want to lie. And then there's other times a lot of, you know, I, I observe a lot of people in life talking badly about other people who are not there, talking behind your back. You can't do this. So that needs self-control. Because you're causing harm to other people. And uh, in, in my understanding that I've, I've come to in life, if I harm you, Maribel, then I'm actually harming myself. And if I let you harm me, then you're harming yourself and I'm being harmed because we're all relational. So, so for me, the self-control is, is necessary to live with freedom, which itself needs, you know, um, defining but freedom to me is is doing what you want when you want to do it without causing harm to anybody so if you're going to cause harm you can't do it so you know sometimes to avoid lying I won't say anything because I know that it's going to actually be too much for somebody to hear for example so I just don't say it and I've also denied myself immediate pleasures in the past because I knew that it would lead to harm for some somebody else so I think that's what I mean by the self-control is, is is to live with integrity, which uh, in our world is not always easy to do. Do you think, Philip, this this self-control allows, if you have this self-control, it allows you to do more audacious things in life? I, I do, because that's your guide, and if you're if you're living by that, you're living by values instead of fear, and there's no room for fear when you're living with your values. Um, so I think that, that if, you, if you consciously have certain values to live by, that is your sort of one man, one woman religion, if you like. That's your Ten Commandments. But they're your personal ones that you've chosen that fit you. And so, yes, I think so. I'd like to go back to something that you said, actually, when you were talking about becoming a teacher. So you said that you, you teach, and then you said, or rather, I enable learning. So I'd like you to say something because Maribel and I are both former teachers as well. And we know mm. that what is taught is not always what is learned yeah. <laughs> and vice versa as well. Sometimes you, you might be teaching something completely different to what the learners are actually learning. I wonder if you could say something in your years of experience as a teacher and a, and a teacher of teachers. What for you is the difference between teaching and learning? Teaching is 
for me is the focus is on the stuff you're teaching and the focus is on you and the focus is on the curriculum um, but when you're enabling learning you put the focus on the students and it's their education and okay in a school system they didn't choose to be there but when I began teaching they chose to be there they were paying their own money and spending their own time so um, so I quick and, and then I was told by my first head teacher Thai students want two things they want fun and they want to practice speaking so both of those require learning to be a motivational experience and so if I'm focused on what I'm teaching and me and getting them to learn what I want them to learn that's not motivational learning that, that that's teaching so learning you see, you see if, you, if you're teaching a foreign language maybe if you study engineering you need to learn certain facts and so on but with a foreign language uh, my students I can't control their mouth I can't get into their ears I, I, I you know they have to do it they've got to do it so you know I, I had to focus and concentrate on how can I get them to speak and how can I get them to have fun and the two come together because if you're sat there like in a normal school for 12 years in a row rows and columns just listening you know and then you're blamed for not having attention because how can you how can you pay attention for hours every day for 12 years um, as a young kid when you're bursting to do things and then so of course you know by the time we're adults we've lost we've lost a lot of what is natural human essence and it's because all they do in the school is is teach tell and test when you're enabling learning you're you're creating a, a supportive emotional climate you're making the students feel good you're making them happy to be there you're you're it can't be too hot you know everybody's sitting in a u-shape so everybody can see everybody and so the environment you set the environment to be talkative communicative supporting i never let clicks form so i'll mix the mix the students around so they work with everybody and they're happy to do that and then you know i'm thinking Here's a, here's a little example. I was it was after my diploma, so I was I was buzzing with all my new abilities and skills, and one and I, I was doing a reading passage. And after the reading, I wanted all the students to learn about six different words from the passage, which gave the words the context, because we were then going to do a, an output, um, like a speaking activity, where they could utilize the the intake from from the text. And one student called me over, and I said, Yeah, and he says, oh, What does this word mean? And it wasn't one of the five words. Now, normally, I would say, well, we'll talk about that later, but can you just do these five words? These are the important words. And then I'm thinking to myself, hang on, he wants to know what that word means. Why am I going to tell him, no, I can't tell you? <laughs> and, and so that was an example of, of, of teaching the humans and not, not the curriculum and, and, you know, being alive to what's going on. I mean, you know, that was just, just an example uh, to highlight that, but... Yeah, learning is what it's all about. And when the students love their learning, they, they, they become autonomous learners and they become lifelong learners. And I, I think that's, I think if you become a lifelong learner, then all these accidents will happen to you and, and, and you will do audacious things. Um, you mentioned the education, like the regular education, and uh, that, that children have to go to those fantastic 12 years where they sit and mm. listen. What are they missing out on what is education making kids forget or you know I, I think that that children come come to this world with um, agreeableness love uh, trust mm. and through 
the years of education, I feel like they lose things. From your experience and, and what you've seen and knowing how it could be, what do they forget or things that they came to this world with and don't learn or or just uh, lose? Have we got another two hours? <laughs> Uh, um, they lose so much, Maribel. It, it's it, it really. I I I consider it criminal. I, I think humanity somehow has has lost is is fallen out of love with itself. Um, and it's not to blame anybody. It's not to blame teachers or anybody. But the system has developed over the years. Uh, the curi the innate childlike curiosity and the creativity stamped out. There's no space to be creative. And if you're curious and ask questions. So the curiosity and creativity goes. They don't teach us how our body works and how our mind works. Uh, they don't teach us how to learn. There's so much involved in learning. It's not just being told, uh, you know, and without attention, nothing gets learned. So, they, you know, it's very hard to hold the attention. They don't learn self-knowledge. They don't learn learning skills. Uh, listening skills are not taught. Reading skills are not really taught. Writing skills are not taught. Speaking skills are not taught. Um, you're there for 12 years. Why are they not working with each other? Why are they not building uh, relationships and learning how to get on with each other and compromise and, and listen uh, attentively and empathically and, and, and to read critically? And, and to, uh, you know, to, so, for example, if I, if I do a reading text, I, I deliberately set questions that don't have fixed answers. So people have got to become responsible for their own ideas. And then we can have arguments and discussions and agreements and disagreements and so on. That particularly comes out nicely in multicultural classes. So almost everything that could be wrong about schooling is wrong, in, in my view. And, and it's not to blame anybody, but we need... Uh, I use task-based learning, which you probably know. Um, and task-based learning is giving tasks throughout the educational experience so students have got things to do they've got speaking to do they they can move around they can find they need the time and space to get in touch with what their unique talents are but the school just wants a one-size-fits-all so they don't find out often people don't even know that they're that they're talented in this or that they lack confidence because there was never any speaking and never any need to th uh, think critically uh, because all the answers were fixed and all the answers were given to you by by the authority and so you know when we have a world where complying is is uh, blindly with with rules that harm life this is because we had 12 years of of schooling to to comply um we were not given the opportunity to to find out basically who we are we were shaped into a into a society mold and then of course now when we become adults our nurture and our nature are now antagonizing each other so we're constantly in some kind of stress uh, and we can't find harmony and and this is exhausting it's tiring and the only way out is for one per one adult to somehow um, get themselves properly educated um, and that's where I'm heading now I'm, I want to I want to bring my teaching to the online world uh, and help parents because home education is now you know it's exploding I think parents don't know how to tackle it and as usual all the courses are telling the parents what to do but the parents need the skills that they weren't developed when they were in school and that can be done relatively quickly and so you know it, it's one thing to know what the solution is but it's very important that if we have that solution that we spread it out and, and that's my big that's my big venture now that's my next plan I left my beautiful job um, to finish the book 
and now I've, so I've gone from the peak of my powers to down here. But once I start teaching online, I'll be happy again. I prefer to be in the classroom, but you know, online is you can reach a lot of people. Yeah, so that was going to be my next question, Philip. How how do we how do we get out of this? And and you are you've already started embarking on a project to try and I guess transform the education system and and at least show people how it could be done. Well, the the, the in my book, the most intelligent teacher and human being of the twentieth century, Krishnamurti, was always saying, and I agree from my work that you until you educate the educators, we're stuck. We will not we will not emerge from this vicious cycle. So we have to educate the educators. But who's the educator? Now, you know, we used to think teacher, but yes, teachers, but parents, leaders, community leaders, gurus, all kinds of people now. Anybody who works with other people and has some kind of leadership position, they are an educator. And if the educators don't know how to be healthy, and if the educators don't have learning skills, how can they really help the people they're educating? They can't. So there's only the only way out is is for one generation to suddenly become good at educating, and the beauty with the home education is that if parents learn these skills, they can they won't be teaching their children so much as they'll be creating a co-learning experience because they'll be learning themselves. Because when you become a task-based learning teacher, you never stop. You're always learning yourself. And everybody loves that because you're now a human being and you're not imposing yourself and you're not trying to control them. And so everybody thrives in that kind of environment. And you see in our world today, the environment is, is you know, it's negative news nonstop. And it's because the human, for me, it's because, um, because of the schooling. It's, it's finally caught up with us. Um, and perhaps the technology's got a say in it, so, um, and which is going to help. But we do need quite an urgent intervention, and I think that is educating the educators. So do you want to say something about the project that you're working on at the moment? Yeah, it, it's basically it's a 16-hour course. on. It'll be eight sessions, Zoom, Zoom online sessions, two-hour classes, and it'll be two per week, so people can do it in one month. So it's 16 hours. There'll be homework, but my homework's always enjoyable. <laughs> uh, it's that you wouldn't want the dog to eat it. And uh, so, uh, yeah, 16 hours, and they will have the recordings, which will be invaluable because one part of proper learning is reflecting. You reflect upon everything you've done. And uh, I just remember what you said earlier on about input and in intake. Input is what the teacher gives, and intake is what is received. So this course will teach the learning skills, the communication skills, reading, writing, listening, and speaking, and motivating uh, techniques. And the, the thing is that when the parents or the leaders or the teachers do the course, they will be with me live. It's only limited to 18 in, in, in the class, so we can have a, a, you know, a happy group. They will be exposed to everything that I do as a teacher, and those are the things that, you know, that I, I'm teaching, I'm modeling the, the actual teaching that I'm teaching. So I'm walking my talk. And so the, the parents and the teachers, when they, when I, and when I teach teachers, they, they're doing their masters with me. Not only do they get what I'm teaching, you know, the, the knowledge, but they see it all in action. So they know, and, and we have plenty of questions and, and so on. So where this course is gonna be really valuable is that, the, that everybody will get the, the recordings and they can watch those again and again, and they can watch them with their children and they will keep on learning more and more and what, what the idea is, you'll get a crash course in learning skills, communication skills, 
and problem-solving thinking skills, uh, there'll be a little bit of health and wellness knowledge, which is vital, um, because if you're sick, you can't, can't enjoy yourself. Mm. So that's, that's the course in a nutshell. I'm hoping, to tr- I'm hoping to get it taught throughout June. That's the plan now. So okay. I'm, about to, I'm about to launch it, um, an advert, um, with all the, you know, the education people that we work with and so on. And we'll see. I need 18 in the class. And if there's, if there's big demand, I'll do two classes at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, and, then, uh, and then the beauty is that with, when it's recorded, I can then do a bit of extra work and package it all up. And now it can go out. It literally could go out to thousands now because mm-hmm. it's a standalone course. The, the initial one will be live and the people who join it will be the actual students. But when you watch this, you see what you've got to do. So in this way, if enough people discover my product and they like the look of it, then it literally can reach thousands of people uh, without me being burned out. So that's the big plan. So if any parents or carers are listening to this podcast and want to find out more about this, where mm. can they find it out? Good question. Um, I'd probably have to send you my, uh, my Linktree link because that's got links to my book and my Facebook author page uh, and educator page. Uh, but as soon as I've got the first link for the advert, then what, what, then I can update it. So I don't know when you're going to put this podcast out, but, but, uh, yeah. So what I'll do is I'll send you my tree link mm-hmm. and then whenever I change any links that will automatically, you know, people okay. will get it that way. And because we put, it's, we'd put that in the show notes. Okay, yep. great. That would be fantastic because I haven't got the first link yet. I'm doing all the work on these various, you know, software things, but within about a week or so, I I should have it and I'll update it. So I'll send that to you. Great, okay. All right, Philip, we've got one final question to ask you, which is to do with the name of this podcast, which is Audaciousness. And the audacious part relates to having the audacity to do the things that you do in the first place. And the nest part relates to it's an archaic word for a spit of land which juts out into the sea and remains standing regardless of what the elements are throwing at it. So our final question to you is, what is it that keeps you standing, that gives you the solid grounding to keep doing the audacious thing that you're doing, despite what life is throwing at you? Well, I don't really think of what I do as being audacious. I just think that I do what I do based on the context I had in my life. So I was, um, so I had a, a very lucky start with my mum and my dad for different reasons. But yes, I do get bad moments and bad times. And, uh, and uh, you know, a lot in the last year with all this self-publishing and learning all this new stuff and so on, I, I was in a beautiful comfort zone in my classroom. I, I, I think nature helps me. Being alive to nature helps me. and learning helps me because if you're a lifelong learner you're always seeking out new things so you you've got an automatic guard against getting stuck or decaying or not evolving because you are an automatic learner and I you know my mum used to I used to read books galore and she she encouraged me to read books so I'm a I'm a book reader and now I'm obviously a book writer but I yeah I don't think of it as audacious I think if people had a similar pathway to me they would probably do the same thing I'm just an ordinary soul but if people think what I'm doing is audacious and I understand that I think I think I value life and I value nature and I value learning and I I, I think that that's what keeps me going um, and then you have bad days and when I have bad days 
I know that I have to observe the badness and the bad feelings and I know that the universe will, will help me if I open to it and say, look, come on universe, sort me out. <laughs> I, I don't like these feelings. And then usually, you know, the next day it's okay. And you know, there, it's not easy being a human being. There's absolutely no way it's easy. But I think if you have your values and you live by your values and you, and you, you get your energy from nature and, and you love learning, because if you love learning, you love life. And if you love life, then you won't let it get you. Beautiful response. Thank you so much, Phil. I love it. I want to remember that. Come on, universe, sort me out. <laughs> Beautiful. It, it usually does, Maribel. It usually does, because you're sort of digging yourself into it. You don't think you are, but you are. You're, you're putting yourself in there, albeit with some nasty things that might be going on or whatever. And of course, in the last couple of years, we've had very testing times, all of us. But yeah, it's uh, yeah. Have have a connection or have a relationship with the universe. Beautiful. Thank you so much. I I learned from just listening to you. Thank you so much, Phil. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for talking to us. Well, I've loved it myself. Thank you for bringing me on. Helen, that was a fascinating conversation with Philip. Listening to that uh, conversation again, what are some of the key things you're taking away from it? Yeah, well, I, I love the fact that he, as I said at the beginning, that he accidentally emigrated to Thailand and he accidentally became a teacher because, as I mentioned before, it's a kind of a it's a similar story to mine that I also didn't know what I was meant to be doing. And then I kind of accidentally fell into teaching and loved it as well. Mm. Um, so I think in relation to that, this kind of accidental nature of finding out what your what your destiny is, what's meant for you, um, I think is a lovely way of, of viewing life. And, and we, we've spoken to guests before who've who've kind of been on the other opinion of saying you know you need to have goals you need to set goals you need to do this and and you need to know whether you've achieved them and live life by design not by default or accidents or things like this but I love the way that 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 Philip talked about and and he said that if he's open you know if you go through life with this open way of thinking then whatever life's accidents throw at you you just go with the flow and you go with that and and maybe that's what path is meant for you anyway you know without mm. this um this need to set yourself goals so I just thought that was a, a lovely interpretation of it and and like I say when I was thinking about it that was kind of how I lived my life as well without these specific goals so I'm not sure what 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 do you think about the difference between goal setting and letting accidents happen I think that uh, letting accidents happen is great and having goals is also important. So kind of like a combination of both having goals, but just being open to adapt them and not have this need of controlling 100% everything that's going to happen in your life. It's good because having the control is actually just an illusion. You have your plans and you try to do it, but there are so many things that could go in another way that 
forcing yourself to to make these things happen and not allowing any other outcome to be creates from my perspective unnecessary stress uh, or or anxiety and i think if you are open to that then that's an opportunity for you to discover your calling or or your vocation rather than following some kind of set rules uh, this is what you need to be and this is what you what you have to do and by this age uh, you have to have achieved this and by this other age you have to have this this and that yeah and, and it, it's interesting what you say there about control because a, a, a lot of the a lot of our guests have said let go of control Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, it's this thing about not controlling the outcome. You can have an idea as to what the outcome could be, but not to be so fixated on it that you're that you don't let these accidents happen on the way, because these these accidents, obstacles, challenges, call them whatever that come up, you know, that are sent to test you. They, you know, they, they, they come up on the way and they're sent to test you and they become part of the way. So you have to be able to be receptive to them. So it's a good way of thinking don't don't get fixated on the outcome and let go of control however the other thing that philip said was about self control because he talked about you need to have some kind of self control in order to know what your values are and to do no harm to other people and to not let other people um, do harm unto you so there's a difference between control of the outcome maybe and control of your of yourself. Yes, I I liked a bit what he said about self-control and how he connected it with control because controlling external circumstances can be difficult especially if you don't you don't own all the control of the things that uh, that you want to achieve. And in terms of self-control his point was quite interesting something that i that i understand of you know living authentically means to to live and and make choices based on your values and that's how i connected it to his answer that having self control means that before you act or make wild choices, you think, is this connected to who I want to be, to the person I want to be, and behave that way or not, depending, obviously, on on how is that connected to your values. And when it's possible for us to be authentic without apologizing to anyone and be okay with that and give ourselves the permission that we are worthy of making whatever choices that we do living that way then you are staying in that space of authenticity more and more definitely yeah and 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 i also think it was very true what he said about the the self control that if you have good self control or a good level of self control then you do you don't want to control other people and you won't let other people control you so you know you're living in your own freedom you're living in your values um you're living as you say as your authentic self so 
that was something that I hadn't really thought about self-control before, but I, um, I, I got a lot from that. Something else I want to talk about is when I asked him about, you know, the difference between teaching and learning, because you and I, Marabella, as former teachers, we know that, you know, what we do in the classroom is not always what, <laughs> what is learned. So, you know, this yeah. thing about en enabling learning and that, you know, and we've had this from guests before where, you know, they've said the school system's broken, it produces, you know, kind of unquestioning automatons, which, which is what the industrial model needs, but it's not what we need um, in order to move forward. We need this creativity. There's an excellent, that reminded me of an excellent TED talk, I don't know if you know it, by mm -hmm. Sir Ken Robinson called Do Schools Kill Creativity? Um, mm. which went viral about, oh, I don't know, 10 over 10 years ago now. It was a fantastic, just a 20 minute talk. Well, let me guess. Yes. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> it's just a 20 minute TED talk. And, I, and it had a really good, you know, strong impact on me when I, when I heard it uh, years ago. But yeah, I mean, Phil, Philip is not the only guest who has, has said this, you know, that putting kids in schools, you know, in rows all facing forward uh, for uh, you know, eight hours, six hours a day for 12 years of their life is, is, is not a good way of, of raising children. And then, you know, to ask how do we get out of this, he quoted Krishnamurti and said that the way that we do it is to educate the educators. And, and, and I do agree with that because otherwise you're in this vicious cycle of, you know, we know that this is not the right way to educate, but when you've been through that system and then you become a teacher, how do you stop doing the same thing that you've been kind of indoctrinated to do before? So I think it's very um, audacious, shall I say, of Philip to be, you know, taking on this challenge of, of creating this online course to educate the educators and, and help people who are wanting to educate their children outside of the state school system. Yeah, definitely. That way, we don't need to wait for the next generation of teachers to at some point, there needs to be like an emergency break and, and just tell people and help them see the way that it's being done is not helping. It's just basically destroying kids' inspiration and creativity and their souls and all these things that we hear in the conversations that we have of people uncovering and rediscovering who they really are and all this stuff that both of us have gone through then all, all these young kids won't have to go through that because mm -hmm. they will be allowed to tap into their imagination their their creativity and will be allowed to discover who they want to be what makes them fulfilled and hopefully, hopefully be able to, to pursue that. And if more people are happy, life is, is a lot better. I, I have this thing because I, I wanted to mention that um, Philip says he, he doesn't want to stop being in the classroom, mm. that he misses being in the classroom, that that is his calling. And I can, I can so relate to that not the part of being in the classroom, but the part of being in a space where you don't think it's work, where you're, you're just doing it because you, you just feel alive when, when you're doing that. And I, whenever I talk with other people who have like corporate jobs and it's not 
like working hours i've had this that people say oh no but but it's 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 past five or past six and let's not talk about work mm-hmm. we're already in the morning talking about work and i don't think in those kind of parameters because i mean obviously i i, I have a business that i want to be i want it to be successful but i have so much fun doing what i do that i could talk forever about it, about how people behave, about how people learn, about changing your behavior to get different outcomes. This is like not work. It's it's fun. And imagine everyone would be doing something like that. It's living life in alignment. Uh, again, this is another conversation that, that we've had. And I've, I've pulled out a quote that um, that basically Phil said, when I'm traveling and when I'm teaching, I'm absolutely in the moment and I love being where I am. And then he said, it's a joy to be alive. You know, so that's exactly, it's living in the flow, living in alignment. Mm. And, and you know, you, you've got so much energy, so much positive energy then, which has an effect on other people, obviously, if you're emitting, you know, emanating this positive energy, it's, it's a joy to be alive. It is. Thanks very much for listening to this episode of our podcast, Audaciousness. We hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. A huge thanks to Phil for sharing his fascinating story of the last 30 years he spent in Thailand and the audacious goal that he set himself to fix a broken school system. Phil, this is very audacious and we wish you the best of luck with that. I like that, Helen. If you enjoyed this episode, please give it a like. And if you think someone else would benefit from listening to this conversation, pass it on to them and share it with your friends and family, colleagues. If you know of any other audacious people, including yourself, get in touch with us. We'd love to hear from you. We'll be back in two weeks with another audacious guest and another audacious episode. See you soon. Bye. Bye.